Welcome to Porcelain Peak, a strange and scary podcast dissecting all things horror and sci-fi. Here are your hosts, or what's left of them, Tone, John, and Anthony. Enjoy the trivia. Welcome back to Season 4 of Porcelain Peak, a production of WordsForWeirdos.com. This week, we got Chop Talk about a new Star Wars property that was just released today at time of recording. The Star Wars? The Star Wars. The War of Star? Then we got Trivia. I'm on my way to a three-peat. Can it happen? (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Then for our main discussion, we are talking all about Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo! That I don't know. is I just feel like I gotta say that every time. <laughs> that is what are we talking about? Pan's Labyrinth, Kronos, and Crimson, Crimson Peak. Peak. And then for our final cut, the return of final cut, we're talking about the new Guillermo, and that is called Nightmare Alley. You got through all of those, I'm proud of you. Thank yep. you. Yeah. And I didn't even mispronounce any of them. <laughs> <laughs> you should have thrown him some mispronunciations in that uh that qualifier. You should have like <laughs> And I didn't even mispronounce anything. <laughs> I didn't uh, mispronounce anything. He's not even a <laughs> Luca All right, let's just go it's straight. It's the devil's backbone. <laughs> Chop talk. It's the ship of the water. Roll the, <laughs> Roll the music. <laughs> the ship of the water got me. <laughs> It's about the fish dick. <laughs> the fish and the dicks. <laughs> Do you like the fish dicks? Do you like the fish and dick in your mouth? Oh my God. Are you a gay fish? <laughs> All right. Wow. Let's hope Guillermo del Toro never listens to our podcast. <laughs> oh. Why don't you take an axe and chop it open? Before we get started, how you guys doing? I know I just asked you in our quiz episode, but this is a different episode. <laughs> it's a totally different episode. Yeah. It's like a different I'm good. Time. How was everyone's Christmas? Oh, it was pretty good. My my uncle was like, I'm making German food. And I was like, all right, whatever. And it was kind of gross. You were but, like, this is America. Yeah. Uh, he made these things called like canoodlers or something. It was like breaded balls with bacon. I oh. think. <laughs> Fuck yeah, right? Mm. Nah, it didn't really do anything for me. Really? Yeah, I didn't really like his German balls. <laughs> <laughs> his bacon-covered German balls? Yeah. Luckily, uh, my mom brought him, so that was cool. But I got some dope gifts. Got some Chucky cereal. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Big-ass Universal Monsters book. Have you tasted the Chucky cereal yet? No, I think I'm going to go get another box to eat and then save that one like I did with my Mario cereal. You know you eat the cereal, not the box. Yeah, but I don't <laughs> want to even open it. Yeah. He just and wants that to go to to go bad over the course of several years. Yeah, he's going to save it like Beanie Babies, then it's just going to be worthless. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be dust, and then I got a John Carpenter's Lost Themes on wax. Oh, sweet. I guess they're not lost if you got them on wax. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody found them. But yeah, I mean, overall, it was really good. Uh, yeah, mine was relatively low key. Just kind of hung out with the parents. Uh, we went to the snow on Christmas Day. I was uh, very jealous. You guys took wonderful pictures. Yeah, we took wonderful pictures, and we were there for a, a solid fifteen to twenty minutes, and then turned around and went back. We <laughs> That's went. how snow works when yep. you are from California and, yep. you're, and you're not at all used to it. Um, it is rough. 
That's yeah. why I'm like, yeah, snow trip. I bundle up in like 17 layers, and then the whole time you're just fucking miserable going up in all those layers. The and then cold the whole, sweats is the worst. And then the whole way back, you got fucking water in your shoes. Mm-hmm. And wet <laughs> shoes are honestly Satan. So. Yeah, yeah. The uh, um, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, my my dog, Kevin Bagan. He uh, he stepped out for a couple seconds, and then immediately was like, nope, back in the car. <laughs> Why would I want to do this? <laughs> He's like, this is a literal nightmare. How was your Christmas, Anthony? Very low key. Got together with my family. It was funny because uh, for the entire, basically the entirety of the time leading up to Christmas, my family was like, we're not getting together. Like this person didn't want to go. This person didn't want to go. This and then literally like the day before Christmas, everybody was like, okay, fuck it. We'll all go, we'll all go to dinner. <laughs> so it was really really nice. Uh, my dad got me new tires, and my sister and I got each other microwaves and got not separate microwaves. A microwave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does yours, does yours like a make break? a ding noise? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> got them stacked up like a break room. Yeah. <laughs> one's for fish and one's for everything else. <laughs> yeah. No, Um. we, it, it was a very adult gift Christmas. Um. Not adult gifts, but <laughs> I wish. So you got, so you got a blow up doll. Uh, what did you name him? Oh, no, it was, it's the fish man from Shape of Water. <laughs> oh my God, mom. It's just what I wanted. <laughs> But wow! Yeah. All right. Do you have to open and then it comes out? John, oh, let it pass. A, nope. <laughs> it's a whole thing. It's a whole process. <laughs> you gotta really want to fuck that doll. <laughs> All right. Well, the chop talk that I mentioned earlier is that as of recording, the book of Boba Fett has started on the old D plus. I didn't know about this until I heard a Spotify ad about it this morning, and then I was like, "Oh shit! I should check that out." Yeah, I'm pretty uh, excited about it. If it's half as good as The Mandalorian, it should be pretty cool. And I love the whatever the fucking room is that they record in. Yeah. Super I just cool always show. want to call it the Videodrome, and I know that's not it. <laughs> the uh, Dimsdale Dimmodome. <laughs> that's when you got like a... Uh, the Videodrome is when you got like a pussy in your chest that you stick VHS t- uh, tapes into. And then you um, climb into the TV, and that's how it plays. Yeah, no. I, as long as this is at least half as good as The Mandalorian, and also not the same as The Mandalorian. I'm like, right. okay, you're doing another show about a character who looks like the Mandalorian. I'm like, at least let's hope that it's pretty different. Um, that's what I'm hoping for, but uh, I'm still star Wars out from our fucking retrospective that we did. So <laughs> it's been a hot minute since that too. Yeah. That's, that's how, that's how much of a toll that took on me spiritually <laughs> to get through all those star Wars I, movies and the Ewok stuff. I was doing uh, letterbox comparisons with the log chat guys, the other the podcast on Elm street and Chuck and rough and everything. And uh, I was showing my top actors that have shown it up in my letterbox movies. And Warwick Davis is on there specifically because he's in like three of those movies as an Ewok. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I so good, uh, based on that same chat, I kind of uh, took a dive back into Letterbox, and I, I was like, I used your list of recently rated movies as like, oh, yeah, I saw every like third of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll go and I'll rate that. I'll rate that. I'll rate that. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I think that it will be more about him kind of running things. Whereas the Mandalorian is like traveling, yeah, and focused on that kid MacGuffin. Yeah, he's like trying to win Jabba's territory or yeah. whatever. So yeah, hopefully it's different. Also, Hawkeye ended. So if anyone's interested in watching that whole thing in one go, it's available now. John. I, need, I need to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that was good, but not as good as Spider Man. It's <laughs> just how I feel about literally everything I watch now. I was like, that was that was fun. It's a, it's not hard, as fun as Spider Man. It, it's a hard bar. I'm glad that we're getting into a new year and we can leave leave spider-man in 2020 i feel like i need to i need to what is it if you uh, i need to leave it and delete it <laughs> get it out of my head that's a uh, that's a that's a uh, 
commentary back towards our quiz episode for this episode. So if you want to check that out, you can head over to patreon.com. We'll talk more about that later. Yeah, we're not there yet, bud. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, just on the docket, if you're listening to this on day of release, Scream is coming out <clears throat> on the 14th. So in 11 days, more or less. 11 days. So watch that because we're definitely going to be talking about that. And if you haven't seen any of the screams or you need to catch up, then watch the other four because we're going to be talking about those two. Leave the shows where they belong in the trash because yeah. we're not watching that shit. I yeah. don't want to rewatch. I that. didn't realize that it was so soon. Wow, that's super exciting. Another bit of news that I wanted to bring that you actually brought to the table because you were pissed about it was that Warner Brothers has announced that they're moving forward with another Matrix sequel officially. Oh, I'm so enraged. And if you heard our opinions on the last episode about the Matrix movies in general and then especially this newest one, you know, without spoiling anything, we didn't land super in a I mean, we, we weren't really on the um, positive side with that newest movie and largely not on any of them <laughs> besides the first one. The fact that they're still doing this. Have they released any information about what it's going to be like? The thing that just kind of shocks me is that the movie didn't do amazing, like financially, and didn't do great critically or with fans. So I'm kind of confused. Maybe because it got a middling reaction. They're like, cool. So our reboot idea that we originally wanted to go with could be the way to go. So like, why don't we just reboot it now that it failed? I mean, it would would just be... It probably classic studio, or maybe it has something to do with the the numbers off the streaming side. Maybe a lot of people watch it, so they're like, okay, if we release another one, it'll get more people into the service. I don't know. Yeah, I just know that it was like fourth or fifth in the. I think the only thing that was lower than it was the Kingsman movie that nobody went to see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I heard from a very big Kingsman fan of the source material and of the previous two movies that it is does not have anywhere near the same level of charm. Basically, anything that's come out besides Spider-Man recently has fucking bombed. Nightmare Alley is, I mean, and this isn't really getting ahead of ourselves, but Nightmare Alley tanked hard financially it lost so much fucking money so like i mean i I mean i'm of the the thought process that it is going to release again in like two months that was my thought too was that yeah yeah. if he's looking to do the same kind of thing as he did with shape of water i remember when i went to see shape of water i had to go to the to our local art house theater to see it it. yeah before it like and then they did a wide release of it after Mm -hmm. so i'm sure the same thing will happen I just don't know if people will be interested enough, but if it gets some Oscar buzz, which we can talk about later, then yeah, but I don't think that we need more Matrix movies. I already said the last one felt unnecessary, so I mean, I'll probably come crawling back to watch it just because we'll probably end up covering it for the show. (laughs) Why? Because I gotta. (laughs) Yeah, because we're still doing this show in two years when it comes out. Because I'm contractually obligated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's, that's all I had. Anybody else... Got yeah, news. I think that'll wrap it up for Chop yeah. Talk. Cool. cool. So then we'll go ahead and move into trivia. That Christmas house of wax, the fog of piranha. It's one of those, right? Right? Do your thing, uh, piano man. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's what how the, are you doing here? That's how the, the song goes, right? <laughs> Do us a thing. You're the piano guy. <laughs> you're the keyboard dude. <laughs> Your trivia tune this week is... Trivia. 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 Is it a lullaby? From Pan's Labyrinth? It is Mercedes Lullaby from Pan's Labyrinth. Wow, teamwork. (laughs) Makes the dream work.
thank you because the fourth stanza I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Saved you. <laughs> yep. We did it for you, man. Saved my bacon. All right. We're still doing slash cards. It's five categories. I'm going to read a category and then we will read a question in a circle to each other with me to John, John to Anthony, and Anthony back to me. Are you guys ready? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Category X. First one up. John, name one horror movie that takes place on Mars. My favorite state. I don't think this is going to count, but I'm just going to say Mars Attacks. A, I don't think I would qualify it as a horror movie, and B, I don't think it ever takes place on Mars. Yeah, I would say it's a sci-fi comedy, and I don't think it ever, I don't think it ever on goes Mars. on Mars. So I think... Yeah, I, I, I had nothing. I had a bunch of sci-fi movies. I could have said... <laughs> yeah, that's that's a tough one. I could have said The Martian. could have said... Uh, is Ghosts of Mars a horror movie or is it a sci-fi Yeah, so that's movie? the only one that I could think of as well, and that is the one on the card. John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. I've never seen or heard of that, which I find surprising. It's supposed to be awful. Yeah, that's so it's good that you haven't <laughs> seen this or heard of this. I'm going yeah. to go back to pretending that it doesn't exist. <laughs> I think there's a rapper in it. I think I keeps in it or something. <laughs> Anthony. Hit me. Name. Two horror movies starring Christopher Walken. <laughs> it got better as I went. Don't yeah. even fucking act like it didn't. <laughs> Christopher. Christopher Walken. Walken. You gotta add that, that voice break. Yeah. <laughs> he had to put it up his up ass. Up his ass. <laughs> two horror movies? Two horror movies with Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Not Christopher Running. The Dead Zone? On the card. Nice. And... Would you consider Sleepy Hollow a horror movie? I would. I mean, it's yeah. it's like gothic. Would, it's horror adjacent. I would accept that. Yeah. Okay. 100% I would accept that. The other one on the card is The Sentinel. Oh, I was thinking The Prophecy. Isn't that his whole... He's like the main guy. Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm, I'm at a loss for anything <clears throat> else besides that, though. What yeah. else has he been in? But two was good enough. You're on the board. Cool. Nice. Tone to make it a little bit tougher on you. Name three horror movies from the 1960s. Not going to compare to my my run of 90s movies the other week peeping tom i believe that should be 1960 it's not on the card but whoever wants to check well don't you look because that's a bad idea why because then you're on your phone and you're cheating okay okay we're gonna fact check that real quick 1960 <laughs> on the dot <sighs> so okay. close all right um psycho it's on the card there you go <laughs> I, was about, I was about to say that uh, it came out right after so for sure that one <laughs> I'll say the birds. I was going to say, I think you found a well. You just got to strike strike for the oil. Yeah, but I can't remember if that was before or after Psycho. Check, check it. Yeah. It is from 1963. Oh, yes. Nice. Fucking sniped. Would have been better if it was 69. <laughs> <laughs> <Percent>. <laughs> Sexual. All right. So at the end of round one, Anthony and I are tied at one. John, not on the board yet, but we're going to move into behind the scenes. John saw who directed your next from 2011. Oh fuck, I don't know this. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're honest. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna go back into the bag for an old classic. Charles Fuck. Doctor, nice. Doctor is it Adam Wingard. That is incorrect, John. And yes, Anthony, you are correct. It's Adam Wingard. Yes. Imaginary I, points for me. I just know that I like that movie quite a bit. It's not enough. Adam Wingardium Leviosa. <laughs> Is Leviosa, not Leviosa. Sheesh. Anthony, the nineteen ninety horror film Whispers was based on a novel by what horror writer? <laughs> yeah, I don't fucking know this. 
I'm going to say Dean Koontz. It is Dean Koontz. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, wow! As soon as I saw Hold this... that right out of my it, Im- it, it immediately made me think of the Family Guy episode where they're talk- where they're doing, like, the misery thing. Uh-huh. And, like, they uh, they run over somebody with their car, and they're like, like, holy crap, are you Stephen King? He, like, gets up and he's fine. He's like, are you Stephen King? He's like, he's like no, I'm Dean Koontz. And then they back over it. Which <laughs> <laughs> is a really fucked up joke because it Stephen is. King actually got hit by a car. <laughs> Oh my god wow can't believe that but i was literally just like okay it's not stephen king so who else was writing horror in the uh yeah oh almost read you the answer fine by me tone which one of the dead films has george a romero claimed is his personal favorite night of the living dead dawn of the dead or day of the dead i'll say dawn oh, it looked day. like you were about to say day and that's the correct answer ah. day of the dead that would have been my second guess. All right. Well, at the end of round two, Anthony takes the lead. Yeah, the crown wow. is slipping. All right. We're moving into general trivia. John in General the- Trivia Junior. <laughs> junior. And John in the Hills Have Eyes from 1977. Which of the following planets is not also the name of a character? Jupiter, Mercury, or Saturn? Why are you getting all these space questions? Yeah. What the fuck is up with this card? I am going to say so. The the options were Mercury, Jupiter, Saturn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Saturn. The correct answer is Mars. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, very confused for a second. Yeah. It is Saturn. You're right. Yay! Nice, nice job. You're on the board. Yeah, I will take being on the board for sure. Speaking of things that were previously mentioned, what is the name of the high-rise apartment building in David Cronenberg's 1975 film Shivers? Heart of the city. Starliner Towers is the correct answer. I think that's a tough question, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I was just listening to a podcast about Cronenberg today, too. The Dean Koontz Cabana. In Children of the Corn from 1984, which Stephen King book is clearly visible on the dashboard of Bert and Vicky's car at the start of the film? Pet Cemetery. The answer is Night Shift from 1978, which includes the short story Children of the Corn. Oh shit! Cornception. Cornception. I feel like you would have to have on the radio. You'd have to have some song from Corn playing, and then it's <laughs> triple Cornception before they existed. Yeah. All right. Well, at the end of round three, John and I are tied at one, and Anthony's still sitting at two, and we are moving into characters and actors. John, what is the name of Jamie Lee Curtis's character in Halloween from 1978? And it requires first and last. Laurie Strode. That is correct, sir. Damn, dude. Damn. So I was so sweating. Like, oh my god! Like after I have it like... next. Laurie <laughs> <laughs> Strode after next. Oh fuck. Anthony David Hess played Krug, the leader of the sadistic gang in what 1972 Wes Craven film? Last House on the Left. It is the Last House on the Left. Last House after next. <laughs> now I would have loved to have dropped the Wes Craven part. And I think you still might have gotten it, but it would have actually made for a question that's not fucking baby mode easy. Yes, because it's it's always either going to be that or Hills, Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And those are clearly named after planets. Mm-hmm. Tone, Liv Tyler, and Scott Speedman starred in what 2008 home invasion film? The Strangers. It is indeed The Strangers. The Strangers. All right. So then we have two. Mm-hmm. And Anthony's got three. Yep. And we're moving into plot and setting. John, a woman and her daughter, move into an apartment with a leaky roof, and supernatural occurrences begin to pile up. 
Could it have something to do with the girl who disappeared at the apartment a year earlier? And I guess name that movie. Uh, <laughs> is that even a question? <laughs> the, the question is, could it have something to do with the chick that died? So there you go. That's it. Uh, yeah. So the the movie is Dark Water. Yeah. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Listen to our Lisa Lamb episode. Yeah. Oh, we, we, we talking about that? Yeah, we yeah, talked we about covered Dark Water. Movie? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Like over a year ago, I think. <laughs> Really made an impression. <laughs> it's actually a pretty solid movie. Yeah, I like Darkwater, the original. Nice. Yeah. Well, good job, bud. Thank you. Anthony, when the daughter of a famous actress becomes possessed by a demon, her only hope may be an archaic and dangerous religious ritual in this 1973 film. Well, John, first I'd like to say uh, your mother sucks cock in hell. <laughs> My mother's still alive. <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> uh, the answer is The Exorcist. It is The Exorcist. Nice. For the win. Yep. Good job, bud. Burr, 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 burr. Give me back that crown. Thanks. Now somehow it's smaller. <laughs> <laughs> Tone for your final question. A scientist creates a potion that can separate the good and evil sides of a man. After testing it on himself, himself the scientist morphs into a hideous madman in this 1931 film. You better come correct. Dr. Jequel and Mr. Hyde. There we go. Perfect. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> well, I mean, not bad. Yeah. yeah. Four, a four tight, three? tight round, especially considering I started off with a wet fart. Yeah, and I didn't sweep, so I didn't make you guys look too bad. <laughs> Either way, congratulations on your win. Hope that you enjoyed that trivia. If you want more trivia, you can get bonus episodes every week over on patreon.com forward slash porcelain peak. And John's going to tell you all about what Patreon has to offer. Yeah, so for five dollars a month, you can join our peeps. Yeah, the, the peeps. Yeah, join the Porcelain Peeps tier, uh, where you get uh, access to a weekly trivia bonus episode that goes along with the releases of all of these. This week, we basically all did Guillermo del Toro themed ones, except for yours had some Guillermo in it, but it was mostly just about poorly translated titles inspired by foreign languages. John. Yes, which all ties right back into this episode. And then for ten dollars a month, you can join our I think it's porcelain patrons. Partners. Partners. You're, there we go. you're really fucking this up, dude. Hey, I only <laughs> I only look at the the click add audio post and then add shits. Partners. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so for porcelain partners, you can get uh, access to our slasher piece theater commentary tracks that come out every single month. Last month we did Silent Night, Deadly Night Two. Yeah, yeah. Which was garbage day <laughs> uh yeah and for january we're doing the passion of the christ no let's not let's, <laughs> let's not say we didn't uh, but yeah and on top of that you can also get a, a a digital print as created by one anthony silva exclusive exclusive so you can print Sexy. them shits out or put them on the background of your phone or if you have a fancy watch you can put it on the background of your watch and other shit of that nature uh, and they're really cool art. The one for uh, December is super cool. I kind of want to print it out. <laughs> and if you don't have a fancy watch, you can still print it out and then cut it into a circle and just stick it on the face of it. Because who really gives a fuck what time it is? Yeah. Yeah. And if you want, if you pay a little bit extra and we can discuss this through DMs, I'll send you some of my bath water. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Speaking of paying a little extra, for $20 a month, you can join our Porcelain Producer tier, which is the only one that I know off the top of my head. Uh, and that will give you early access to our Monday release episodes. Typically, you get those around Thursday or Friday. The last couple have been a little later than that. It's the, the holidays, holidays, bro. <laughs> I know, I know, for sure. Uh, on top of that, you can also get uh, the ability to help us come up with ideas for the show. We've had some really great episodes that have come directly from the ideas and the minds of some of our producers. And on top of that, you also can get a shirt every six months. Uh, current design right now is a metal theme. Yeah, technically you can go on and buy your own shirt, sure. But if you do it through Patreon, it's a little bit cheaper. And, and there's so much in in more perks and stuff. There's <laughs> just so in much in more perkage. Yeah. <laughs> so just to clarify that is for, uh, patreon.com forward slash porcelain bake. I'm going to have you retake that part because I'm going to say on top of that, for all of those tiers, the access that you get for the episodes is all ad-free. So the ads that are coming up right here shortly, you won't hear if you hear this on Patreon. Yeah, so that's going to be patreon.com slash porcelainpeak. And uh, speaking of ads, we're going to roll into some of those and then get into our main discussion. Literally couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> and now, a word from our sponsors. This week's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, and we have a special offer for you. All Porcelain Peak listeners get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Porcelain Peak. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. You can start communicating with a therapist within 48 hours. For our international fans, we got good news. BetterHelp is available worldwide with a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's over 15,000 therapist network, which may not be available locally in all areas. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist and expect a timely and thoughtful response in addition to weekly video and phone sessions. No more uncomfortable waiting rooms like traditional therapy. They have individual, couples, and teen therapy in addition to therapists that specialize in LGBT issues. You can choose a therapist with a spiritual background, male, female, and various ethnicities if that's what you choose to do. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available because BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Porcelain Peak. That's Better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Again, there's a special offer for Porcelain Peak listeners. Get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash Porcelain Peak. That's P-O-R-C-E-L-A-I-N-P-E-A-K to start living a happier life today. Check out the show notes for a direct link and thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Hey, Tone, what's that you're drinking? Oh, this is a nice tall mug full of mud water. What in the Sam Hain? <laughs> Sam Hain <laughs> is mud water. Mud water is an all-natural coffee alternative that has immune benefits and helps with sustained focus without the jitters and crash of coffee. What's in it? What's it taste like? What's the deal? It's made from chai, cacao, reishi, cinnamon, and more, and tastes like a chocolatey chai. How often do you drink it? I personally use it every day, 
And as you creeps know, I'm pretty sensitive to caffeine. I once saw you look at an energy drink and you stayed up all night. <laughs> That's a true story. But I can have mud water in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the early evening without feeling anxious, weird, or having trouble sleeping. Whether you're running around Crystal Lake, pulling a blanket over your eyes, or stressing on which episode of Porson Peak to listen to next, Mudwater has your back when the going gets tough. As Tone mentioned, Mudwater contains Rishi, which has been used in Chinese medicine for over 2,000 years and nicknamed the Mushroom of Immortality. As a key ingredient in Mudwater, Rishi will give you added support for your capacity to handle stress while supporting a healthy immune response. Check out our affiliate link in the show notes to get mud water, creamer, sweetener, even a frother if you're feeling froggy, or go for the starter kit like I did, which includes a killer recipe booklet. That's mudwtr.com, or use the link in our show notes to help out your favorite podcasters. Hey, you, you want to see something really scary? For our main discussion this week, we are talking about Guillermo del Toro movies. Guillermo! I don't know. I just feel like looking at him, he is just such a a warm Pillsbury Doughboy looking dude that Cherub-like. I just like. Yeah, that I just saw. That's a perfect way to describe him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I was watching an interview warm, with him. Cheeks. Yeah, and Jimmy Kimmel earlier, and I was just like, I don't like Jimmy Kimmel, but uh, Guillermo. <laughs> did, did they? Make, I just want to give him a big hug. <laughs> did they make Guillermo based jokes because they also have someone who's a member of their cast whose name is Guillermo? No, they didn't. But they played a really funny. Um, uh, can you guess what this? 1940s slang means because it was <laughs> he, he was going through like the slang that he learned for writing Nightmare Alley yeah. and so he, he was having Kimmel like read the slang and try to guess what it was supposed to mean it was pretty good that is pretty good yeah so we picked three random movies uh, from his catalog we went with Kronos I think that was John's pick yep, right yep and then Anthony <clears throat> went with Crimson Peak and then I decided on Pan's Labyrinth uh, the reason I picked this one is because uh, I had heard good things when it first came out tried to watch it when i was a teenager and it didn't really pull me in so I subtitles thought I, would, I think so yeah um and i was like i don't want to fucking sit and watch this but i wanted to revisit it as an adult so what what made you lean toward chronos um i knew it was his first picture and i think that there's a ton of value that can be gained from watching someone's first outing for their feature-length directorial debut uh, and i wasn't disappointed in that i think that i got to learn a lot about his filmmaking style and see kind of the roots that became the trees that are some of his calling cards and his hallmarks of his directorial career, which I really enjoyed. Um, and then uh, for Crimson Peak, why did you choose that? Why you ask? Well, cause I gotta, <laughs> cause I gotta. No, this movie has a special place in my heart because as I was telling you guys uh, last week, I actually got to see this movie in the theater with Guillermo del Toro. Um, I went to a an art installation or an art. Uh, show that he had in LA where he was basically emptying out his collection of stuff from his extra house where he had his big Frankenstein head and all of his weird oddities and stuff. And then he did a uh, long Q and a that was awesome. Just love hearing that guy talk. And then we got to watch Crimson peak after, and then he talked a little bit about the movie and it was one of the most magical experiences I've ever had. And also I just like Crimson peak because it plays into my, uh, Frankenstein obsessed brain with the the gothic romance and everything like um, it just hits me right in my sweet spot so while the critics may not like Crimson Peak as much as some of his other movies it uh, ranks a little bit higher up for me so I yeah, wanted but, to rewatch it uh, on a scale of one to goo I don't need to finish the question what do you, how, do you, how do you feel 
I heard the start of that yeah. inside of your chest. Yeah, I made sure that one was was straight from the groin. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about pants. Yeah. Uh, no. No, I, you don't want to talk about pants. All right. I want to. I think that we should go me you Cro- Chronos logically. Yes. Let's go Chronos logically. <laughs> All right. Fine. <clears throat> Fuck you. Go right. ahead. Yeah. So we'll start with Chronos, uh, which yeah. was like I said previously his very first film. Um, and I, uh, to give you kind of just a brief plot synopsis, if you have not checked out Kronos, which I can say beforehand, I would highly suggest to do so. Um, it is basically about this device that's created by somebody from like centuries. An previous. alchemist. Yeah. An alchemist who, uh, creates this device that basically helps you live forever. Um, which we find out later has like some weird little insect in it. And it also kind of sort of turns you into a vampire. We find this out through the lens of a grandfather who owns an oddity shop. And in that oddity shop, um, this device comes through there and he gets uh, stabbed by, by it and then becomes kind of sort of like a vampire type thing. Uh, and just crazy shit ensues. It's also the first, uh, first pairing between, uh, Guillermo and um, Ron, Perlman. Ron Perlman. Yeah. Um, which, like I said, it has a ton of his calling cards. You know, like the the aggressive man in the suit who just has like no morals, mm-hmm. which is a very common thing. I mean, yeah, like, just the standard. Uh, uh, basically, any sort of authority is like the evil figure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then just the the use of like weird like modern but also ancient technologies kind of combined to make something the fact that it is from like a specific period uh, i think this technically was probably closer to when it was actually made but it is still something where it has like a little bit of that like old classic period feel um he doesn't yet have his color palette yes it is i mean and some of that also could be just equipment used you can definitely tell this is less expensively made uh than some of his other forays into film but i thoroughly enjoyed it for what it was and like it it was similar to how we watched absentia and we got to learn a lot about where flanagan's thought process comes from by seeing where he started Mm -hmm. Uh, and i feel like i it unlocked a whole new like thought process for guillermo for me and i started it in that order because i wanted to watch them in chronological order to just kind of see because we for some reason managed to pick like a perfectly spaced grouping where we like uh got him at the very beginning once he fully hit his stride with pan in the in like the midst of him like kind of being in like a career renaissance with uh, Crimson Peak right before he released Shape of Water mm-hmm. and then his newest film, yeah, so, pre Oscar and post Oscar, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. I hadn't seen this movie in quite a few years. I have done a, I did a complete. Um, I think leading up to Shape of Water, did a complete Guillermo uh, filmography watch. So I had already seen all of his movies um, a f- quite a few years ago whenever shape of water came out but yeah re-watching this i remembered i was like oh, i think this is probably my least favorite just because it doesn't really have this the style that you associate with guillermo but you're totally right that it really does bring in a lot of elements like the um i mean i think most importantly the the humanity the heart mm-hmm. of the character like you'd how often really never do you see that angle taken with a vampire story where it's this this older man and he you get to see him i mean i think the closest thing would be a a movie that i've mentioned before and you guys are like what the fuck are you talking about but jacob's wife with barbara crampton she's also an older woman who becomes a vampire Mm -hmm. and starts to kind of like get a new lease on life because of it um so there's that the connection between him and his granddaughter i think is the kind of the heart the the having the child in the movie i think is a common thread throughout most of his movies Mm -hmm. is having kind of that child's perspective 
Um, and then, yeah, the uh, just the aesthetic of having the bug inside of the clockwork machine is like two of his most iconic things is like the clockwork mechanisms and the monsters mm-hmm. and insects specifically. I mean, and I think that also comes back to one of his biggest calling cards, and that's just leaning into fairy tales in general, mm. which I think basically he makes like some fairy tales that are even more fucked up than some of the things that you would see from their true grim, like originals, like, but mm-hmm. like back in the day, like they grim they have, meaning the brothers, not just yes. in, in subject matter. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Grim, grim with two M's. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think that it really adds a different flavor to it. And it's just kind of like, it's a, it is a fairy tale for an adult horror adjacent audience. I think that's a really good point. <clears throat> bringing up the Grimm's is because we see a lot of their stories retold through the Disney lens, mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. get watered down. The Grimm fairy tales are pretty fucked up. It's also the same thing with like, like Hans Christian Andersen and shit like that, where his right. stories also aren't tied up with that pretty bow at the end, like right. they are for the Disney adaptations of them. And and what Guillermo tends to do is you get these fantasy elements. I mean, I think the daughter or the granddaughter's name is Aurora, which is mm-hmm. directly fantasy related, right? or fairy tale related but then on top of that it's these moral tales but then he throws in these fucking gory <clears throat> scenes and a lot of times i'm like what the fuck man and i love it because it adds that punch and a lot of times these grim fairy tales would end pretty fucked up yeah and that's something that you see through pretty much all of his movies after that is that you have a fairy tale that at some point has to remind you how fucked up humanity is by showing you something really hardcore or, or gory and really even up through Nightmare Alley there's scenes like that where I was like oh shit you know mm-hmm. like didn't didn't expect that but should have expected it <laughs> yeah. from Del Toro uh, we get one thing that he tends to do and I've noticed it in at least a couple of these movies is injuries to hands you mm-hmm. see that a lot uh, it comes up in pans for sure I can't remember if it comes up in Crimson Peak but I know it's in shape obviously yeah um so there's that idea too, and then some of the other stuff that I can't remember if it's in this one or not, but people getting their fucking faces bashed in mm-hmm. happens, happens a pretty lot. frequently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like, wow, okay, so that's one of your calling cards. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a fireplace is mm-hmm. another one that comes up a lot too. Um, but overall, I would say Kronos, I, I, it's it's very different than what I was expecting personally because I did think it was going to lean into the vampire aspect a little bit more. I didn't fully understand why they were like okay here's this device but then also here's this instruction manual but then the instruction manual doesn't really play into it too much i don't know i was just like well okay do we need that aspect i guess i don't really understand the need for the other old man trying to get the device because you could just have ron perlman be after it and then fight i don't know it just didn't fully make sense and then i didn't really understand well i think that's the the reason that that guy specifically is there is because he's an a sick old man and so he he wants this so that he isn't sick and old anymore well yeah, yeah. i mean you even see with the with the with the gentleman that ends up with it and mm-hmm. and for a little while it gives him like a youthfulness that he didn't have previously yeah he shaved and, his mustache <clears throat> yeah yeah but i mean it and then it also shows like the healing properties that it has as well so i mean obviously i mean because this guy's walking around with two canes and like he can barely get around and he never leaves his house i think that he's looking for that that grasp back to get him into society which is a uh, he wants power yeah it's a it's a shit motivation not storytelling wise but just yeah. like humanity wise one thing I really liked is that when we had this car fall off this cliff, 
it wasn't a massive Michael explosion. Bay explosion. It was just yeah. like, all right. <laughs> it felt re- it felt realistic. Yeah. yeah. And then that scene where he's just laying there and just like, I'm dying alone. Yeah. I was like, this is pretty hardcore. Yeah. Like, that's the stuff that you, d- you, I don't think would expect from somebody's first outing mm-hmm. with this kind of material. And uh, I think my first exposure to him was probably through Hellboy. And I think like you totally can see if you watched Hellboy and then watched this, you would go like, oh yeah, totally the same guy. Yeah. Like t- to me, it makes total sense. I mean, Perlman alone is a good a good connecting tissue. I think we need to spend a little bit too more too much time with the like mortician. Like there was just scenes of him. So like, what is going on? Like let's go. <laughs> so there is a sequel to this film. Uh, not not uh, affiliated with Guillermo in any way, shape, or form. I think other than maybe like a very light producer role. Uh, but the only returning character is the mortician. Really? Yeah. What is what is it? I have no idea, but I, I I just know of that from just looking up the trivia and shit on IMDb. Yeah, but then uh, I mean, if we want to talk more about the fantasy stuff, Kronos I think is the god of time, so mm-hmm. then that plays into the whole thing too. And we get the a, clockwork. Yeah, from, yeah, we get a ton of that throughout everything. I mean, pan directly. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean, so that was cool. So I I did I did like the <laughs> more fantastical elements, which I feel like we start to lose maybe when we get to Nightmare. Where there's not so much fantasy thrown in. I mean, and some of that, I mean, we'll come down to, I mean, when we discuss it, that that is an adaptation of someone else's work, which I think there is something to be said about his quality of work when it's something that is his own, that he created from scratch and something that was created for him and then he implemented. Yeah. Uh, Because, I mean, the majority of his works are all things that he's taken little bits here and there from from like fairy tales and from lore Mm -hmm. and then spun it in his own way and made it something that really works for him. I'm Aaron Mankey. And this this is lore. This is Guillermo del Toro's career. (laughs) Um, I I do want to mention that I really loved how beautiful and poignant the ending is. Because it could have easily continued on. And it could have gone through kind of similar to how like Let the Right One In works out. Where it's like a a vampire and they're familiar. Because it sets that up perfectly. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got her hand covered in blood at the end. And he's like sitting there looking hungry as fuck and yeah. he's like ready to ready to like basically cannibalize his granddaughter and then his humanity is what stops him and then you know to his own detriment destroys the machine wait i mean spoilers for this movie that came out a billion years ago well yeah. i like that the ending is left kind of ambiguous though because the sun is coming up into that room that he's in and you would expect him to go all midnight mass and just like fucking burst into flames <laughs> <laughs> But he doesn't, and it leaves it kind of on a an open ended. Did his did his self sacrifice and his destroying this thing, and his humanity save him in the end? And we don't really know. And I think that's the interesting part of the whole question behind the whole movie. You know, is um, you know, you feel for this guy throughout the entire movie, and you don't necessarily want him to become what he's becoming and so it's different from a lot of vampire stuff where you're like yeah i want to see the fucked up vampire stuff you're like no dude don't start fucking licking up blood off the bathroom floor like we don't oh oh, that scene where he's like getting ready to to do it off of the sink and then it like gets pushed onto the floor and then he like as soon as everybody leaves it's just like oh yeah i'm getting after this yeah i also loved the little little moments of like uh levity with uh ron perlman and his wanting to get a nose job yeah, he's just listening to the the like tapes or whatever about plastic surgery, and then, like showing people the the pictures. Like, yeah, like what do you think of this one? That guy's just always been like a troll. He is. Uh, that's rude. He's a very handsome man, but no. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, he's just uh, he's very magnetic, and I can see why Del Toro wanted to keep working with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I love this movie even more than I've seen it again, and I think just kind of 
this, like you said, it just really hits on the, I think, most important elements of what makes Del Toro movies work. Not necessarily all of the signatures and the stylistic signatures and stuff, but the, like I said, the heart, the supernatural element, the fairy tale element. It hits on all the stuff that we're, we see just kind of blown up into bigger budgets and bigger mm-hmm. sets and things like that in his future movies. I mean, and we'll hop right into that pretty much right now, unless we want to give this one a rating. I don't. I just want to say that it, it did leave me wanting more in, in certain regards. Like I did want a little bit more motivation for characters or purpose for characters or even like the transformation. I could have used just like a little bit it's, more. It's a short movie and yeah. I, I could have used a little bit more, but I could see budgetary right. reasons mm-hmm. and things like that. I could see why it didn't go on, you know, it didn't go on for longer. But um, I did want to briefly just kind of because I rewatched um, Devil's Backbone, I wanted to briefly talk about mimic which was his next movie just to say that uh mimic sucks so you don't have to check it out but um i tend to it's basically about giant bugs in the sewer and i tend to remove it from del toro's uh filmography because he has said that it was the most nightmarish uh he felt like he was in nightmare alley it was the most nightmarish experience that he's had making a movie specifically because of harvey weinstein apparently harvey weinstein would storm onto set and say you don't know how to make a scary movie and basically bully people on the set to try to get del toro fired and then demanded final cut and basically butchered the movie so there is a director's cut of mimic to check out that is a little bit closer but del toro says even that isn't saving the movie mm-hmm. yeah. so he kind of writes it off well he doesn't know how to make a horror movie because because he, he's not he doesn't try to make he's horror never movies intended yet. to make yeah a horror and, and scary movies. yeah and weinstein was like you're not making it scary enough you're not making it scary enough yeah and it's like that's not what works about his movies um and then the devil's backbone um i We'll say if you liked Pan's Labyrinth, which we'll get into, um, I think that you will love Devil's Backbone. I did not realize rewatching it that it must have been restored recently, or maybe I just misremembered watching it. But this movie looks fucking incredible, um, even for when it was shot. And you can immediately see like some of the color palette and things um, and has a lot of themes in common with Pan's Labyrinth. So they really are sister movies. Very similar protagonists, same kind of setting. Um Two, the two main characters from Devil's Backbone actually cameo in Pan's Labyrinth as oh, soldiers. So um, there is a connection there if you want to check that out, if you like cool. Pan's Labyrinth. But I guess we can go ahead and get into Pan's. Pans. Yeah, so I think that... I mean, I, yeah, I, I really like this. I'm glad that I rewatched it. It works for me. Uh, it's about a girl and her mother that her mother marries a uh, captain. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of in this army base captain dickbag yeah Yeah, captain piece of shit and she's pregnant she's having a hard time the mother not the girl and she's having a hard time with her pregnancy so she's kind of just on bed rest the whole movie and then the little girl discovers a labyrinth and there's a magical creature maybe that is trying to get her to complete tasks um but then there's also the story of soldiers of like a guerrilla group mm-hmm. trying to take down the soldiers and the soldiers trying to take them down. I was just uh, amazed that he was able to wrangle all those gorillas together <laughs> and uh, get them to get them to act like that. So I think that I've noticed in his movies, he tends to have two different stories going on. I think that's why shape worked so well for me because it's a lot more centralized mm-hmm. where it's like this. We have these, this little girl story that doesn't get a ton. And then we have this military story that doesn't get a ton and that kind of tries to merge them. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And then even with like nightmare alley, there's so many different, like we're following this person. We're following this person. We're following this person. And you don't really get a ton with any of them that you really want. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with shape, it's like, we're just following this love story and it works really well. 
Um, and this one, I feel like, has a good uh, bridge between the two stories, um, but they d- it does feel a little bit disjointed. Yeah, I think that on this mo- most recent rewatch, I didn't really find a problem with that because I found the stuff happening outside of her like fantasy as much as cool as that is. That's the stuff that I remembered about the movie. The stuff mm-hmm. that I didn't remember was all of the in between um, stuff with the captain and the soldiers and, and everything, the torture and, and the torture, and that's the stuff that I was like actually that to me was just as interesting as the fairy tale stuff and just as compelling and. I was because even though you you fucking hate the captain, the performance is so good mm-hmm. that you are just like glued to the screen because you you don't know what he's going to do from second to second. And he's, he, a, it he's makes, a legit psychopath. Yeah, and it makes for such a compelling uh, villain. And he has the whole thing with the watch, and it, there's something with his father. And okay, so we get the gears again. Yeah, yeah, and the, I guess even like his his whole shaving room is supposed to look. It's supposed to be modeled to look like a watch or look like the watch because the watch is supposed to be about his fractured mind and um, his inability to cope with that. So you get, you know, the 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 familial uh, kind of connections that he always has. There's always some sort of like parent issue or family Mm -hmm. issue in a Del Toro movie. But um, yeah, the really hardcore soldier stuff is the stuff that I didn't remember from this movie. And I really enjoyed it this time around. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. I hadn't really ever realized that. I think with shape, the closest you get is like kind of following Michael Shannon's character well, in, you, in some stuff I mean, like on al- the side. You also follow, uh, I don't know what his name is. Richard the, Jenkins. The, yeah. The yeah. The Richard artist. You, yeah. You follow him kind of like in his, in a little his, bit. in his like trying to see if that, uh, that guy who works at the pie shop is gay. This is a, this thing. is much more evenly split, and it and yeah. I think if you watch something like Devil's Backbone, Devil's Backbone is very similar in that there's the ghost story part of it, and mm-hmm. then there's the Civil War part of it, and you can tell that he is that Del Toro is as interested in tackling both stories, at, you know, and the fairy. T- I think some people actually don't like his movies for that reason. I was seeing some people talking about how they either appreciated Nightmare Nightmare Alley more because it didn't rely on supernatural fairy tale stuff to tell its story. And I think some people see that as kind of a distraction from his movies. And then other people are like, no, I want that to be the entire movie. And I I appreciate there being a balance because I find, like I said, the stuff equally compelling in this movie. Well, and and uh, to go basically to quotes that he's made about his own career, uh, it is something where he has talked about that at length saying that when he makes a movie, he wants to make one movie that tells the entire amount of stories that he wants to tell. Mm -hmm. And so he'll encompass a lot of different stories into one thing and then patch them together in the, in like his signature style. And I mean, some people are in love with that and some people are not against it, but not like, you know, aren't mad at it, but like, aren't like super gung ho about it either. I think Uh, it works best in this. Because it didn't really work for me that much in Nightmare. Um, and so I was able to deal with that, different the different stories. And I think it works. And I think probably the, may, maybe not the best, but one of the best things about this movie is the makeup effects. Oh. Or the special effects in Holy general. Shit, Which man. I didn't know about Del Toro until I was reading his bi- biography. That he spent about 10 years being specifically a special effects guy before he got into directing movies. So it makes a ton of sense why he is. And I'm... He said in interviews that nothing in any of his movies um, gets past him. So everything has to go through him. And some people who work with him hate that. Um, and other people love that. And I think the viewer is gets the most out of that because his movies feel like there's a continuum between them. And, the, and you feel like every detail counts. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, just the uh, Doug Jones performance, 
the fact that he learned so he didn't know spanish which apparently freaked him the fuck out when he learned that he, that uh because is we, he the fawn too yeah so he's the fawn okay. and, and the pale man yeah yeah which is done on purpose to potentially imply that they are the same character oh. or that the pale man is an invention of the fawn to test her mm-hmm. and the toad is also supposed to be potentially they're all supposed to be kind of like in a fairy tale, uh, potentially the same character. Yeah, but um, the toad was Andy Circus. <laughs> yeah, well, the toad was actually Del Toro. He did all of the the noises. Oh, okay. For the toad. Yeah, that shit was hella gross. Yeah. yeah. So um, he was really scared of the fact that it was in Spanish, but he had worked with because uh, we kind of skipped over Blade Two and Hellboy because those came before this, um, and he had worked with him in Hellboy mm-hmm. and wanted him uh, in both these roles. He was like, "This movie can't be made without you." Um, and so he learned all of the dialogue without really knowing what it meant or any any of that and then still had his voice dubbed over but del toro actually loved it because the actor dubbing over his voice was able to match the mouth movements that doug jones had done because he had learned it uh phonetically in spanish i mean it really it wasn't something that you could see you couldn't see the lines between it just it worked perfectly obviously especially with the fawn who has well and they did the same thing in hellboy with um with abe sapien it's david hyde pierce from fraser who does the voice but it's doug jones doing the performance i learned in that that apparently david hyde pierce refused to do interviews or press tours because he wanted to give all the credit to doug jones's performance that's cool yeah so um obviously anybody who works with doug jones sees him as an incredible performer and we've talked about him a bunch on the show previously uh, appearances in buffy and tons of other stuff i mean and just having the ability to emote with your body in such a way where people will continue to i mean especially guillermo will come back to you and say hey i i need you to make this movie work and i mean i think there's there's a an inherent value in that and it sucks that like someone like him will likely never be recognized by the Academy or by like the Golden Globes or even like SAG or anything. Yeah, it's just him and Andy Circus sitting in a corner like, hey, guys. <laughs> hey, we, you know, we, we made some of your favorite, most iconic characters. Like the Pale Man is pretty iconic at this point. Like people know terrifying. the terrifying. Yeah, it's disgusting. Eats children. Obviously very referential to the um, the Goya painting. The um, Oh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Whatever eating his kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> jupiter or whatever I think so yeah yeah um which uh, a lot of this was inspired a lot of pacific rim is inspired by goya stuff like he's a you can tell that um especially once you start getting into the the style of these movies like how they when he starts really getting into his del toro style you can tell how much of his stuff is inspired by uh by painting and by art and um pretty yeah. much like he wears his influences on his sleeve and um i just love how much Pan, pan's labyrinth i think is his most it's just a straight up fucked up fairy tale like it yeah. really leans into the three tasks and you know the key, the magic keys and the fairies and all of that and it feels the most just straight up fairy tale i like that we see kind of the beginnings of his signature style uh visually right because mm-hmm. this has a lot of greens um some scenes are drowned in blue yeah we get a lot of that we get the face bashing we get someone hitting the cheek i think in this one someone gets stabbed the, cap- oh, no, the captain shot. gets shot, right? The captain Someone? gets his cut, his face the, cut the, open. The, 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 half, the half Chelsea grin. Yeah. yeah. And then um, the hand again, that comes up. Um, so I was like, okay, cool. He's got his he's got his thing brewing, and, and that's really cool, at least during this watch, to see those build, those steps build. And so that was fun for me. And then obviously, uh, Ophelia is the the heart of the movie, you know, the like the human connection. Dude, and you looks- get some... 
just like my cousin. I was fucking. I sent a picture to my dad. I was like, dude, doesn't this? And he was like, what the hell? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, I didn't. I was. I looked her up because I was like, I wonder what she because she was fan. She's fantastic in this movie, yeah. and um, he just knows how to direct children. Like mm-hmm. if you again, if I keep bringing up the Devil's Backbone, but he just knows how to direct children, and that's almost an all child cast in the Devil's Backbone. Um, I looked her up, and she was just in that Black Friday movie with Bruce Campbell as the other lead oh shit yeah so she's still acting and uh, hasn't done like a ton since pans but she's still acting so that was cool to see because i really liked her in this movie yeah so let's let's talk about the ending uh spoilers i guess it's a little late but do you think that the fawn stuff was all in her head coping mechanism for her having to deal with this life that she didn't want or do you think that that's really happening I th- that's the question, isn't it? Yeah, I am in the. I'm firmly in the camp that those things didn't happen, okay. and that and that she is uh, not only to deal with her current circumstances, but also to deal with the fact that uh, that it's lightweight implied that the captain killed her father mm-hmm. uh, because they knew each other, mm-hmm. and he saw something that he wanted in her mother and uh, had him killed so that way he could step in. Yeah. Um, so I think the fact that she's dealing with that loss and with that trauma, mm-hmm. I think that she's created this new world in order to make herself feel better. Yeah. No, and, and, and that's where I landed too. But then at the end we get her dad mm-hmm. who's the king. So, okay, he's in this afterlife. We get her mom who's also dead, but then she has the baby. And so that's why I was like, well, why is there a baby if that baby's not dead? So that part, I was like, I'm confused now. Yeah. So I know Del Toro himself has said that he doesn't want to give a definitive answer on whether what happened was real or not. But because he obviously he said that he wants it to be open to your own interpretation. But he said that there are many clues throughout the movie that point in the direction that it that it all did happen, that the fairy tale stuff is real. Um, I don't know what all those clues are. (laughs) Um, I think that the story is more compelling if the things didn't happen because then you get like we were just talking about into all of the emotional trauma stuff but i think that that's that's why the movie is exciting when you get to that ending because it again just like the ambiguous ending of chronos you get to decide for yourself based on whatever mood you're in like sometimes when i'm watching that movie i go you know what no like you know that's too fucking depressing to think that the fairy tale stuff wasn't real and that she wasted all that time like what was she doing was she just you know insane hallucinating that whole time i'm like no this movie is much more magical to think that this that she was able to escape into a real fairy tale world where she was a princess but then other times i watch it with a more realist lens and go okay well this stuff very obviously is like class a like ptsd Mm -hmm. like you know so it because no one else sees the exactly yeah so there's enough on either side to make it ambiguous enough that i think that it really is just however you feel in the moment when you're watching the movie but i guess there are those clues so again another reason i'd be interested to rewatch it to try to pick out the clues that kind of sell Mm -hmm. that the stuff is real Yeah, yeah i mean and i did also want to bring up that i felt like after watching some of his more early takes it is something that's really interesting to see how ahead of his time he was with certain concepts in building these essential horror stories you know that are relative relatively based in horror elements Mm -hmm. that have these like connective psychological tissues to what we see currently now where a lot of a lot of horror is meant to aim at your brain and not at your heart which is uh it's just an interesting concept and like i said it wasn't really heavily utilized until we got into probably this most recent decade Mm -hmm. uh, where they're you know where a ton of directors leaned into that type of filmmaking and it wasn't 
wasn't uh, like I said before him, you know, it, there wasn't a whole lot of that either. So him being one of the the front runners in in creating that style where you build this heart and you build these like different concepts into horror stories is just really fucking cool. His movies were some of my first exposure to using the horror aesthetic to tell a non-horror story. Yeah. Um I think Crimson Peak was the first one of his movies that I which we'll get into shortly but that I went into and thought I was going in for a horror movie and then obviously realized it was something completely different, but appreciated what it ended up being. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pans, I mean, has a lot of really creepy design elements and things, but it is like you were saying earlier, it's a lot more akin to like the brothers grim fairy tales than it is to any true horror stuff. Um, and obviously lo- really, really rooted more in the creepiness of folklore inherently. Um, you know, and I guess the fawn was originally supposed to be more of just like a classic handsome half man, Mr. Tumnus style. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Tumnus. Ja- yeah, just get I James McAvoy. <laughs> um, and they decided to do it this way instead. And I think that it was for the best because it looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is a, a great movie. I We can talk about at the end, uh, maybe ranking like what our favorites of the, the Del Toro filmography are. But this definitely on a rewatch ranks pretty damn high for me mm-hmm. i loved it yeah like i said earlier I'm, I'm really glad that i gave it a chance i enjoyed it a lot yeah yeah and i guess del toro uh was so disappointed with the subtitles for devil's backbone that he spent like a couple years working specifically on the subtitles with like four other people four pans to make sure that they were exactly what he wanted for the english subtitles and he said his goal was to make it so that when you were watching it you didn't feel like you were watching a subtitled movie so yeah, and I mean the story is easy enough to follow. Sometimes even without it, yeah. Like if you, I mean, I rewound a lot. So like I missed a little bit. I missed a little bit, but we for all- the most part, it's it's pretty obvious what's going on. Yeah, we also have the benefit of being from California, so I'm sure all three of us, in some way, shape, or form, have some like working knowledge of Spanish. Like I can't speak it, but like yeah. I understand a lot of it well, just based off mouth. of con- <laughs> just 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 based off of context clues. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. So. I mean, I, I wouldn't let that discourage you. If no, you're like, no, you absolutely like not. It is, it is a fantastic. And film. you're unlocking like half of his filmography by going, okay, I'm okay with Spanish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, I mean, yeah, let's go ahead and move into what is probably one of his most horror movies. Yeah. I just wanted to, since we're kind of doing this as like a, the general films, I just wanted to ask you guys your opinions briefly on uh, Blade 2 and Hellboy. Do you guys like those movies? Do you think that they're. I've never Fun. seen either of the Hellboys. I've oh, okay. Tr- oh. I, I tried to watch the first one, and it didn't really draw me in at the time. Um, I, I've never really been a big Hellboy person. I don't like. I I I, I s- yeah. I see the appeal, and I like the Del Toro stuff. Like mm-hmm. I like that he really just goes crazy with the monster design stuff. But I've just never been big into like when they were coming out. I never really cared about them, and then I've watched them. But I just I don't remember anything about the second one except that there's like even more crazy clockwork stuff. I personally dug the Hellboy movies back in the day, and it's part of the reason why I was so disappointed by the by the David Harbor uh, mm-hmm. version. Yeah, uh, was because I really dug the shit out of those two movies, and I was hoping for more of that, and I got the exact opposite. Well, and based on the Rotten Tomatoes, other people really dug those movies too. So yes. yeah, um, and then Blade Two. I mean, we've talked about Blade, but I think that Blade Two is pro- is even better than the first one and um gets into the like what del toro would do and things like the strain with the that's when the vampires start splitting their fucking faces open and 
I all mean, that it, stuff. I have, obviously, I haven't seen everything that he's done, but that one seems like the least Del Toro. Well, he also he didn't write it. He said that he didn't like the the script to it, but he wanted to. He said that he meticulously watched the first one scene by scene so that he could basically copy the first one's style but put his own spin on it so that's why it feels that way and it goes back to what you were saying earlier where when he from the bottom up creates an idea and a story it's different like i would say something else that um came before crimson that i that feels very similar to that is pacific rim Mm -hmm. which was also written by somebody else as much as i think pacific rim is fun it doesn't really feel too much like a del toro movie outside of the monster designs being crazy and he even said he was like i had to keep myself from putting deeper themes in this movie because i just wanted to make a fun kids popcorn movie that got kids to be into monsters and robots like i was when i was a kid and i was like at least he understands that that what he that's what he was trying to make and that's what he made yeah and i and i wanted to touch on this one a little bit because i was disappointed in myself in the decision that i made that none of us chose any of his sci-fi films Mm -hmm. because he does have some sci-fi elements in a few films obviously things like blade 2 and then pacific rim being the biggest uh adaptation there chronos has sci-fi elements right a little bit but not nearly as much as pacific rim Mm -hmm. um but it is just a fun movie, and especially based on the fact that it came out in like the middle of all of the Transformers bullshit before <laughs> they rebooted things with Bumblebee and actually made a decent movie. And it it's just that type of filmmaking, but more fun, I would say even possibly more accessible for larger groups of people rather than it just being like a, Hey, if you're a dumb five-year-old kid, you can sit here in front of transformers and you can be like, Ooh, big robots. They said funny thing. Maybe. And even in that one, like the, the heart of that movie still exists in the whole, like uh, the two pilots merging their memories and their past. And so there's, there's enough Del Toro in there that if you're going through his filmography, I don't think you're going to be like, Oh fuck Pacific Rim. And and that was before Crimson Peak. Yeah. Crimson Peak is the next one right after that. So Pacific Rim, was 2013 and then crimson peak was 2015 wow. but uh, obviously idris elba <sighs> yeah and charlie hunnam right yeah yeah hunnam who you get returning in crimson peak um also the guy who plays like the mad scientist not charlie day but the other character in mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yes. that is also in um crimson peak oh, but he's like the detective huh yeah mm-hmm. yeah um but yeah let's talk about crimson peak so i already got, told you guys my backstory on this movie about w- how i saw it and why it has a special place in my heart um i would say that really just the thing that gets to me is the set design in this movie and Ooh. just the way this movie looks it is to me probably the best looking del toro movie and he even said in interviews that this movie was all about sets and all about making things look uh he wanted to to do homages to the shining the exorcist which i mean you can see the shining reference when the ghost gets out of the tub in the one scene mm-hmm. um there's references to the changeling with the ball you know going down the hall so you, he wanted to make something that wasn't in the same vein as all of the found footage horror schlock that was coming out at the time um it is at, at its core a period piece yeah but he even yeah. says in the very you know uh mia's character even says in the beginning i forget where her, her character name is but she says from the very uh, beginning edith edith yeah she says from the very beginning she's like i'm not writing a uh a ghost story right she's like she keeps saying like oh it's not a horror story it's not a ghost story the ghost is a metaphor and so he's trying to set you up already in the first few scenes to say like hey don't be prepared this movie isn't a horror movie it's yeah. it's got ghosts as a 
as a connection to the past and uh, it was marketed as a horror movie though so yeah and that's, that's probably why that's the thing is like trailer all, makers can go fuck themselves all of death. all of I'm the ghost scenes all of the ghost scenes in this movie were literally all just put into the trailer to make it go that it's a horror movie and it's like well if you watch it those ghost scenes are split up by like 20 minute increments between each one and they last for five seconds and really it's all about Tom Hiddleston and it's all Jessica about, Chastain. See, it's and, all about brother fucking and and fucking trying to steal people's money. Yeah, I got some <laughs> got some real Lannister shit going on in yeah. this movie. Uh, yeah, so uh, really, like, yeah. down to someone getting pushed out a fucking window because they caught the, caught some incest. Yeah, outside of the sets, I would say the costume design was also fucking fantastic, Ooh, yeah. dude. And that's another staple that we haven't really touched on is the period piece mm-hmm. where he almost all his movies are set way earlier than they take place mm-hmm. yeah and i love a good period piece yeah that's why i'm such a big fan of ginger snaps and uh <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i love the setting of this movie i love that the main character is inspired by mary shelley and that she's a writer and that she's this very um she's a very strong leading character and you really do just follow her which doesn't surprise me because del toro like we saw in pan's labyrinth knows how to not only direct children but also make a strong female hero mm-hmm. character um, the only thing that I will say that I'm not wild about in this movie is the casting in general, because I know that, um, it was originally supposed to be Benedict Cumberbatch and Emma Stone were originally cast and ready to do the movie and then both dropped out wow. and then got replaced. And I, I am just not a massive, I'm not a massive Jessica Chastain, Tom Hiddleston or Mia Wazowski. And that plays directly into the fantasy of her being Alice. Yeah. Oh, I mean? yeah. I mean, I was going to say it's it's the second time that of movies that we're going to talk about today where it has kind of like an Alice in Wonderland connection. Because obviously Pans has some inspiration with like her climbing under the tree and like going through the rabbit hole kind mm-hmm. of shit. There are direct correlations to that. And the fact that he used used the woman who uh, played Alice <laughs> yeah. is another like direct connection which i think is cool the only more direct connection would have been every scene in the matrix resurrections where they're just like hey alice in wonderland alice in wonderland (laughs) alice in wonderland um i I didn't love chastain i thought hiddleston did a good job i almost wanted more of him because he does have this big arc mm -hmm. and i feel like and he's fucking he's charming it's there but i feel like it could have been developed a little bit more because you don't really feel it when he's like okay now i love you yeah and it's like well how did we get there if you never get a very good read on his character and then yeah. you're supposed to feel for him in the end and you and I, even then i was like i still don't know if this guy was a good guy or not like yeah. am i supposed to be feeling for him in the end and i think that it's a problem that we run into with some of his movies where they we focus on certain aspects of the story for a really long period of time and then there are certain things that just get brushed over and i feel like the first 20 minutes of this it's just like Information, 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 information. Now here's the story. Yeah, for to very briefly go over the plot of this movie, um, Mio uh, Lebowski is a uh, she's a writer. Her uh, father is rich. Rich. Um, he also is a reoccurring collaborator with Guillermo. Is that the supernatural guy you were yeah, talking yeah. about, Bobby? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know what his real name is. Um, I think it's something like uh, Jim Beaver. Yeah, not even that making that right. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I looked it up because I wanted to to give you his real name because you keep calling <laughs> him the supernatural guy. Um, and X Files. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the uh, her father, uh, Tom Hiddleston's character, approaches her father asking um, if he can help him out with some money to get this this clay mining operation going at his old family estate that he and his sister um, have inherited. 
called I forget it's called like Aberdeen Manor or something yeah, like that. Something like that. But the uh, the name that everybody calls it is Crimson Peak because the clay there is blood red um, and used beautifully throughout the movie. The color red. Miss Lebowski goes with uh, Tom Hiddleston to Crimson Peak. She's been warned by the ghost of her dead mother at the beginning of the movie to beware of Crimson Peak. Um, which I thought was an awesome scene when he first mentions that it's called Crimson Peak. And she's like, uh, what yeah. the fuck you it, say? It me? My ghost mom told me not to come here. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that there are parts of it that were predictable. Mm-hmm. Like when her dad dies, it's clearly meant to make you think that it's Tom Hiddleston's character, but it's obviously not. Very, yeah. very uh, giallo. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Even the gloves. And then. I mean, and maybe it's just me and having seen so many movies, but I was like, okay, obviously he's had other wives. That's not his first one. And they drop hints. So maybe yeah. that's why it felt like that. I was in the boat that, okay, that's not his sister. Maybe that's his other wife. And so then when she's like, no, I am his sister. When we be fucking. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, no, I called that shit like 30 minutes in. It's like, ooh, they, they brought the fuck in. The, for first, sure. the first time she looks at him all kind of like. Well, I knew that they were having relations, but I wasn't sure that they were actually related or not. <laughs> Yeah. Related relations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do love like like that first scene that you see Jessica Chastain in and she has that that red dress that has like the spine go mm-hmm. running down the back of it, which obviously reflects the way the ghost looks in uh in and I believe that that was Javier Botet who did the um the creature in Wreck. Did oh, okay. yeah. Um and I don't know if Doug Jones worked on Crimson Peak at all, but I know that they're frequent both frequent collaborators with Del Toro. Um but yeah, I I don't think that this is, I think this fits kind of comfortably, um, like I'm happy with where it is Rotten Tomatoes wise. I think it makes sense. I just have a soft spot for it because I'm a big fan of gothic romance. Right. I love you know? that aspect of it too. Yeah. And so the, just like the the aesthetic of this, the use of color, like this is really where he just starts pushing the reds and the greens and having them play against each other. Like the ho- a whole interior of Crimson Peak is like this really spooky green, but then you have the red from the ground, really literally just from the earth coming up. And um, I love that giant hole in the ceiling when they first come into the manor, how you get the snow and leaves and you can see the seasons kind of coming through and anything that just takes place in a spooky haunted place in the middle of the snow, another shining homage, obviously when he uses the red to tell you something bad's happening or these are bad people because their ring is red and Mm -hmm. they wear red. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, so this is your hint as an audience member. Like, don't trust these people the evil that works they're evil literally down to their core down, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean overall i had a really good time with it i think that the colors are very heightened but it's intentional and it makes it work in the context of the movie i mean it's called crimson peak yeah. like yeah. obviously <laughs> the color red is going to be a very very important part of the plot and we get the first at least the first that i know of of the name Enola, mm-hmm. which you and i talked about anthony a little bit off mic because that does come up again in nightmare alley yeah um we couldn't really figure out why our best me. guess was enola holmes from sherlock holmes yeah right? but he because he does mention conan doyle in crimson peak mm-hmm. but that's not a crimson doyle character yeah it's like here's this book on vision this book on vision this book on vision and then oh arthur conan doyle yeah fancy yourself a detective uh <laughs> guy from from sons of anarchy but the enola <laughs> character is not his creation that's somebody else just interesting doing a sherlock thing. my I'm only like, thing that i, I could know. think is that it's isn't it i was just like is it's the word alone yeah. but yeah and that's just kind of what i always thought was that it's supposed to maybe have something to do with a, like it's supposed to represent a character who maybe is more alone than they think they are or something like that and it could be that he picked a random ass 
name for this movie and then just decided to do a little Easter egg in other movies. It could be as simple as that, honestly. I mean, but it also is a through line for a lot of his films with um, with like like in Kronos where he's worried about dying alone and he's talking about it. He's like, I, I can't I'm like I, I can't die alone. That's mm-hmm. not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Hellboy, you know, uh, where that character feels like he is alone in the world because he is one of one and nobody trusts him because he's not he's not man but he's also not the devil well then yeah. even, even with pans right yeah she is afraid of being alone and then, and then loses yes yeah. yes to be reunited yeah, yeah that's a good point yeah that's a super good point and he's he's talked about how shape of water oh yeah yeah finding your other piece or yeah. finding somewhere to fit in the the outcast or the other yeah and he's talked about how that was pretty much how he was as a child and you know obviously being into the things that he was into as a child um, kind of set him apart and then being part of a very very strictly catholic family but being into these other these other you know let not really catholic seeming things like monsters and weird shit like that and he's also talked about how he doesn't believe in an afterlife and he does believe that everybody basically you die alone and that's when you get a moment of clarity to reassess your life and basically decide whether you did all the things you wanted to do or you didn't do the things you wanted to do um and so i do think that that loneliness and that being alone as a person is very important to to what he wants to say throughout his movies mm-hmm. and yeah her character i think she's grasping on to especially after uh, her character in crimson peak uh mia lebowski's character mm-hmm. is especially with her father being out of the picture she basically jumps straight into being married to tom hiddleston's character and then he seems to want to abandon her as soon as they get there. And then she's being, she's afraid of being alone. So she kind of starts exploring mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So that's a super good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that Charlie Hunnam is a little bit underutilized, I think, but you know, I don't we know get how much like, more we would have needed for the story to, to make sense. He's basically the Doc Halloran character. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it's already two of, hours um, long too. Yeah. A lot of Dracula elements where he's almost mm-hmm. like a Van Helsing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool to see that tied to the Gothic. Cause obviously we get the Shelly name drop. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to have this manner where these people are trying to suck her dry just in a different way monetarily. I mean, instance. I did get vibes of, like a vampire film. So I thought that there was a possibility that they might have been vampires for a short period until I realized that it Financial was just vampires. Yeah. I mean, which, <laughs> which Tom yeah. Hiddleston and Mia Lebowski were in only lovers left alive, which oh. is a vampire movie there where they go. were vampires. More connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I apologize. I know it's Waza Kaus- Kauska. Yeah. To pronounce. I don't blame you. Yeah. So I apologize to her if she's listening. Um, those fucking motherfuckers. Yeah, <laughs> those fucking little shitheads. I bet they're just fucking three white. I played Alice in Wonderland Crushy. and Crimson Peak. <laughs> I was the Crimson and the Peak. <laughs> she's yeah. Well, she's the porcelain Peak in this one. <laughs> I was the kids that were all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I had a good time with this, and I think that it's while it isn't like the best movie that I've ever seen, and it's certainly not his best film. It was still a good time and it had a lot of elements that i enjoyed it's and a visual I, feast and i do think that it probably deserves a little more credit than it gets if you look so. at pans this and then shape the trajectory makes sense mm-hmm. and you can see how they're kind of stepping stones to get to that shape and to me shape is kind of his his pinnacle work almost yeah um well i think that the academy would agree with you i think yeah. so yeah uh, which i mean we have an entire episode on shape of water so we don't need to don't we yeah yeah we did we definitely did talk about it yeah uh, we covered we, it it was a uh, well, universal remix, yeah, well, yeah more or less yeah so i just wanted to say that um if you want to hear our thoughts we do we have covered shape of water in the past um it's an incredible movie i think you guys are 
a little bit warmer am, on it than I'm, I am. I'm hot as fuck on that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I prefer um I prefer some of his less schmaltzy stuff. Like I feel like, like, like yeah, I feel like shape gets a little bit too schmaltzy, and I want his stuff to stay a little bit grimmer. Grimmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, and um, then the last thing I want to say about Crimson Peak is that we do get those moments of just random gory brutality. Faces like, bashed in. Yeah, faces bashed mm-hmm. in. People get stabbed in the cheek. I was like, holy shit. He damn. loves just just injuring people's faces and yeah. And I mean, yeah. I mean, he gets his hand burned. I mean, there's a. I mean, I think almost every movie someone gets their hand injured uh, or stabbed. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, Charlie Hunnam gets stabbed in the stomach. Yeah, he is wrecked. And he's like, I'm just gonna walk in the snow. I'm like, bro. <laughs> It's like you guys are gonna fucking freeze to death. <laughs> yep. But yeah. Overall, I had a good time with it. It was a lot different than I was expecting. I'm glad that I put some distance in it between the trailers because it was marketed as this big horror movie, and it really wasn't. Yeah. And I think that's what deterred me originally from watching it. I was like, well, if it's not that, that's what I want. Um, but to know it's kind of more of a gothic romance with ghost elements, it does kind of seem almost like a Bly or like a Hill House in yeah. that regard. You know what I mean? I think people would be a lot more receptive to it because of shows like that and because yeah. the the kind of like gothic period piece is making a little bit more of a comeback and people are getting more into those like old school authors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, the Shirley Jacksons and stuff. You know? I would definitely say that, that Flanagan has unlocked that for people and I think that I think that Guillermo could definitely step right in and, and be a, a big powerhouse in that little subgenre. Yeah, it's, it's not a ghost story. It's a story with ghosts. Yep. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it's basically what she's trying to say the entire movie. Yeah. Say they're a metaphor. They're a metaphor. Yep. <laughs> it's <right>. metaphorical. <laughs> well, is that going to wrap it up for Final Cut this week then? Are you... I mean, uh, main discussion? Yep. yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a, a good, good, long discussion about Guillermo. <laughs> but we got one more in the chamber, baby. Yeah. So that'll wrap it up for our main discussion. We'll go ahead and move into our Final Cut. What do you know? I asked for final cut, and I got it! So for our final cut this week, we are talking about the newest Guillermo del Toro movie, which is Nightmare Alley. This one is... Sounds spooky, doesn't it? <laughs> sure. And, it, <laughs> and it's uh, listed as a thriller, but we'll get, we'll get into it. So this one was directed by Guillermo, but is a remake and also based off a book. Right? Yeah, based off of a 1946 book and a movie that was made, I think, in, like in the 60s. The 70s. 60s, yeah. So, and this one stars Bradley Cooper. We also have is it is it Rooney Mara? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Rooney. This is a fucking star-studded cast. Fucking yeah. Kate Blanchett, Kate Blanchett, Ron Perlman, Willem Dafoe. What else you got? The guy from Supernatural. <laughs> the guy from Supernatural, Jim Beaver. Jim uh, Beaver. Um, what's the dude who's Richard in? Jenkins from Richard Shape Jenkins of Water? From Shape of Water. Um, fuck, what's his name? Uh, the guy who the dude from Mindhunter is the bodyguard. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought you were talking about the one from The Matrix. Oh, <laughs> uh, the, guy, <laughs> not in this. the guy at the very end who takes Willem Dafoe's place. Um, um, he's the guy who works with the Coen Brothers all the time. I know, yeah, what the fuck is that dude's name? I know who exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> Tim. He was in the new Watchmen show. Yes, yes, he was. Tim Blake Nelson. There we go. Wow. There Trivia. we go. Trivia. <laughs> Trivia. Yeah. So star-studded cast, and we see almost none oh, of and, anything uh, from any of them. Your girl, Tony. Tony oh, Tony. Oh, I can't believe you forgot about her. Oh, I can no. see your pants getting tighter as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> you have a thing for Tonys, am I right? I mean. He how likes ca- the things they do. <laughs> how how can you not when she's out here handing Bradley Cooper fucking tub tuggers? I was like, dude, I need a bath. <laughs> <laughs> what the 
fuck? You said that out loud in the movie theater. I need a bath. <laughs> no, my crowd was fantastic. I think I was obnoxious because at the beginning of it, I brought a sandwich. <laughs> That is the most you thing I've ever heard in my the fucking separate life. In, the separate ingredients for a sandwich. You just made it there. <laughs> but Electric knife to carve it in half. <laughs> so for some dumb reason, I decided not to open it until the movie started. And so I was like... <laughs> and I was like, God damn it, you're the worst. But <laughs> Where, I, I ate it hella quiet. I didn't even put chips on it. <clears throat> okay? Mm-hmm. And so I was just like... That's so, criminal. Uh, so where's the sandwich from? Ike's. Nice. A little disappointing. Yeah, I oh. feel like that place has gone downhill. But that's I, not what our show's about. You, you gotta, you gotta get it hot, hot off the presses. Like if you let it sit for a bit, it, it definitely does not hold. Its Welcome value. to the Porcelain Peak Pastrami Corner. <laughs> I mean, we could fucking make a podcast about sandwiches, one thousand percent. Anyway, this movie follows Bradley Cooper. He is, seems to be a down on his luck man. He joins randomly joins a, a carnival, mm-hmm, like um, you did back in the day, right? And then. Uh, again, spoilers. Moving forward, um, he decides to leave the carnival with one of the stars yeah. of a show. Yeah, the Electric Lady. Yeah, Electra. And then they do their own thing, and then he kind of turns on her and starts doing like seances. Or... Yeah. So basically, he's a he learns to be a mentalist at this carnival from another retired act. He accidentally is involved in the death of one of those carnival actors. Uh, I, I think I, I think yeah. accidentally is a very loose. That's uh, why. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just air quotes, air quotes. Yeah, accidentally. Um, and then you kind you basically from the first scene with Bradley Cooper understand that he is a shady fellow and you're not really supposed to trust what he potentially could be up to because we see him in the very first scene dragging a body across the floor and burning it, um, which we find out later what that is. But uh, yeah, he leaves the carnival with Rooney Mara uh, as a mentalist, puts on a show, and then decides to start doing seances, and then decides to partner with Kate Blanchett, who is a psychologist, to start scamming people because she has the secret tapes of all of her therapy sessions that she can help him f- defraud people with. Yeah, and this, and we talked about it earlier, where some of the films do have different storylines or they feel a little bit disjointed, and this movie felt really disjointed to me. Because, like you said, we're not really supposed to like Cooper's character, and you don't, really. And There's... he doesn't talk for the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah, and I thought that at some point he was mute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. But then the other characters are very charming, very likable, almost all of them, even the shitty ones. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I would like to spend more time with them, get to know them, but you don't. You only are with Cooper, and it's just kind <clears throat> of like, I don't, I don't know. I just didn't really care for his character. It was missing the heart that's the that's the thing that i think we talked so much about in our previous discussion that i felt like this movie really at the end of it i was like where was the guillermo del toro heart in this movie because i did not feel every character felt like cold uh every character that you were supposed to be fault you know like like rooney mara's character didn't and i understood why she didn't like what bradley cooper was doing but the whole time i was like he's a fucking like what made you think that you could trust him he seems to be we don't get enough of her you know what I mean? That's my point. Like, we, yeah, we could have used there. more of her. Yeah, and it's like, well, and I, I like know, you. Th- I know this is how the original because I, I wanted to look into it and see how different this might have been from the original story or from the the movie, and it seemed to follow basically the same plot. I don't know if the original movie follows more, like spends less or more time at the carnival, but even from the trailers, I expected <clears> that this would be a movie that takes place at this creepy carnival where we get a lot of really cool set pieces, like the giant funhouse mouth, devil mouths opening and stuff. But we're really only there for. Well, I mean, this movie is like two and a half hours long, so we're there. Like it. We're there for like an hour, and then you expect that's where the movie's going to take place, and then it does, which I was dreading. It does a two years 
time jump mm-hmm. and that's part of why the movie feels disjointed is then then it it switches completely to a different story and all, yeah it has no no real tie back except for at the very very end yeah and it's like maybe you could have you those two years could have shown us something about bradley cooper's character or the evolution of his and rooney mara's relationship that i won't exactly. that i won't say is del toro's fault because i don't know if that stuff i don't think that stuff is in the original story where there's more explanation like explanation into his character but I don't maybe it was Bradley Cooper not being the right person for the performance because I feel like maybe if you had gotten an actor who even though they seem shady can pull off the like real because he didn't put on any of the really the Bradley Cooper charm in this he always kind of seemed a little bit like shifty and a little bit shady around people and I'm wondering if the original played more into it being like a oh is this guy a bad guy kind of concept which would have worked better in this well and i thought the idea was supposed to be that we knew from the very beginning that he was a charlatan and the movie kind of tries to seem to want to trick you into thinking that he's not and kind of try to Mm -hmm. redeem him and i'm like no i thought i thought the idea was that we're supposed to know this guy is a shit bird so by the end of the movie i was like okay i'm glad that he got to where he got to (laughs) you know like it's it's a it's a very down and sad ending Mm -hmm. to the movie but um it it just felt like we never really got enough of his character to feel like that emotional impact at the end was as strong as it could have been if we really cared about his character him breaking down and saw so- and laughing and then sobbing in the end while it's a it's a good performance i mean mm-hmm. it's a great performance and it it feels emotional because it's hard to watch bradley cooper sobbing and not get emotional um or man, any man, man or any man cry. just sobbing into his beard like into a hobo beard like it's <laughs> yeah. just it's just hard like if you start crying right now i'd probably start crying john mm-hmm. not that your beard's a hobo beard i'm sorry but i mean uh, <laughs> no offense taken <laughs> Uh, you want to be a geek in a carnival? Uh, some offense taken. <laughs> <laughs> you already had the geek part. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, it did feel very disjointed. I told you when I got out of the movie that I was waiting literally up until like the end of this movie for the movie to start. Like I was kind of waiting to see like, <laughs> when is the inciting incident, the action? It was just a lot of just people talking in rooms. And then I was like, oh, so this is the plot is now we're doing the like the, the scam fraud thing and that was interesting but i was like okay what does that have to do with the carnival stuff in the beginning and when is that going to tie back in and it doesn't really until the very last scene of the movie and it just kind of felt like yeah it just well there was a lot for me that was predictable obviously kate blanchett she's usually a villain mm-hmm. and so the her they even call her like Rooney Mara calls her like an icy bitch or something, and you're like, yeah, no, she is. Like yeah. she just looks like yeah. an icy bitch. <laughs> and so when that whole like I'm taking your money, like I was like, yeah, who didn't see that fucking coming, dude? Like that was very obvious to me. And then I've seen Freaks, which has to, which has... is one of Guillermo's favorite movies, which yeah. totally makes sense when you watch this. And so as soon as they started talking about the geek, and then especially when Willem Dafoe gave him the speech of like how you make a geek, I was like, okay, so he's definitely becoming a geek. Yeah, and uh, they make a very strong point of him refusing alcohol constantly so that, you know, obviously it becomes a... I even wanted that to hit me a little bit stronger, but... Yeah, uh, beca- it, you know, obviously he like, just does it. Yeah. Like, nothing pushes him to do it. He's just like, yeah, fuck it. I'm, it's hubris. Yeah. yeah. The whole thing is about hubris, and it, I just it's not developed enough. Yeah, And I mean, it doesn't make for a very yeah. enjoyable character to watch or follow Mm -hmm. i mean and it also really doesn't help 
the pacing of this movie is just fucking stop and go, stop and go, stop and go, stop and go. It's just abysmal. And it makes you feel every last second of that two and a half hour runtime. Yeah, it does. It- I checked my phone at least like five or six times throughout just to because I was alone in the theater. So I was like, I was even texting my sister like because I was just alone. <laughs> like there were parts where I and I actually fell asleep during the first act for a good solid like on and off for probably 10 total minutes. <laughs> but like it was it was I started to drift and then I'd sit up and then I start to drift and I'd sit up um, and that was a bad sign I knew I was like oh yeah something about this isn't grabbing me and Mm -hmm. it never I liked the ending the ending was like a oh that's a cool idea because I didn't predict it but that's because I'm dumb but um, (laughs) because I do think it was probably pretty obviously telegraphed if I had been paying attention but I think I missed I might have slept through him uh, explaining the geek thing because I (laughs) the carnival was where I I was kind of like dozing in and out um, and I think I probably would have guessed that that was going to be the ending. Mm, I did think that yeah. was impactful and the performance was good. All these actors are amazing and I just wish we had gotten more out of all of them. Yeah, it's the the development of the story around them is just non-existent. Mm-hmm. The actual performances from all of the characters I thought worked really well. I mean, there was like like the moment where Kate Blanchett is sharing kind of her backstory and how she kind of got into like trouble before. And shows the scar and everything. And you can just kind of see the tear. just It never drops, but it just starts to well up in the corner of her eye. Mm-hmm. It like it. I was like, damn, that's that's some some impactful shit. Yeah. I just wish there was a story that fucking made me engrossed to go along with this performance. All, all the performances, fantastic. I mean, yeah. everybody that's these powerhouse actors, they deliver. Mm-hmm. The problem is you don't get enough of them. They're all underutilized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you guys think? Because, I mean, obviously, this is going to be pushed for some sort of Oscar nominations. Mostly, I think, because Shape of Water was. So everybody's just expecting that this needs to be. One, do you think that it deserves to be an Oscar contention? I know we don't know too much about what else is going to be running in Oscar contention. But do you think it deserves to be in the running? And for what categories do you feel? Because we could say, you know, some of the actors may get nominations. Like, I think Bradley Cooper will probably get a nomination, even though I don't think that he'll win if he does. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, though, there's really nobody in the movie who I would think of uh, for supporting, uh, uh, except maybe... I think that it might get a supporting nom. I don't know for who, though. I thought Richard Jenkins was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the... it was cool to see his turn compared to Shape of Water, where he's like this kind of shy humble guy and then this he's a total fucking dick yeah and he's scary like when he freaks out when he realizes the the game that they're playing on him and he's like i'm gonna fucking kill you like and then gives his fucking face back yeah yeah (laughs) back to gearmore shit that's 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 the one time the movie i was like yep i'm on board well that's what i wanted because the movie is categorized as a thriller and so when shit starts to hit the fan i was like yes here we go this is the movie and then it's like yeah it's and then it's five minutes and we get it for five minutes and then it's slow again yeah yeah i mean I don't mind a slow movie. We all know this. I mean, I, I probably of everyone in this room, a slow burn movie, if it's done properly, I'm always the one who's like, yes, that's a five out of five. Thank you for mm-hmm. giving me exactly what I wanted. And him, he's loves the fucking social network. So he's okay with people just talking in rooms. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, it's a, there's a massive difference between something that was probably written a long, long time ago and then Aaron Sorkin's dialogue. I, I mean, there's a huge difference. But that's what I'm saying. Like, there's parts of this movie that we all enjoy. It just doesn't combine them well. I mean, I, and one thing that I will definitely say that there will 100% be Oscar nominations for from this movie is the fucking visuals. It is a gorgeous movie. Yeah, yeah that's it the one thing that I will say. I mean, scene to scene, the fucking office that Kate Blanchett 
Wan shit exists in is fucking fantastic. With the snow constantly going out, yes. out the window, and everything yeah. with the carnival looks super fucking cool, and all like the like the weird shit in the jars. Oh, ah, oh, I was that's lo- why I wanted visually like stun it. I just wanted more of it. Yes, the, the thing is, I was like, I just want more, and I was like, yeah, this is enjoyable aesthetically to watch, but I don't care about anybody. Yeah, I think which the- is the difference between this and most of his other movies, where I'm like, at least there's a character I care about, mm-hmm. or there are characters that I desperately care about because he's done the work um i guess he wrote this movie with his new wife uh so uh going back to some malignant territory but um (laughs) yeah yeah, so i guess they just went through the book and wanted to base it off of the book the book is really well regarded the original movie i guess is like a is a classic i uh, people are now criterion shit yeah it's a criterion classic and people are raving about the original movie in comparison to this i wanted to watch it before we had this conversation but i didn't get a chance but um i would say that if you liked the the story of this, but didn't feel like the execution was right. I think a lot of people are saying you need to go back and watch the okay. the first version of this. Because I am interested. Yeah, it's only an hour and forty minutes. Ooh, I would love that. And it uh, apparently it uh, one of the reviews I saw was like, "This is just the same story, but everybody talks way slower." <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, I, I am very interested to watch the original because I thought that the basic story of this was really compelling and could have been done very compelling. This man who um, is hiding a dark secret and gets this hubris and kind of rises up to the tippy top and then has an incredible fall down to the bottom again, I think is an interesting story. I just think that don't think that it was executed in a way that one met all of the the things that I expect out of a Del Toro movie now. Not that he has to do what I want, but I mean after stuff like Crimson Peak and The Shape of Water, you know, I felt like there should have been more here. Yeah. Well, we talked about Pan's Crimson Shape and how that trajectory made sense. This felt like a step backward to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that he has been a huge fan of of noir movies since he was young. I and, on that, yeah. Yeah, and so he wanted to specifically do something that was... And that's what he said. He said, I wanted to do something different, which is why I didn't go another Supernatural movie i did something that was supposed to be more of the noir films because he was like since a kid i've wanted to do horror movies and noir movies and this was his kind of first foray into doing the noir thing and what do you want to say about the noir i mean i visually he fucking nailed it right on the head i mean the like the the shadow play and like all of like the the brimmed hats pulled Mm -hmm. down real low over the eyes like the rain it it had that real like dick tracy kind of look for me which i was like gung-ho about fucking yeah sign me up i'm all for that i feel like if he would have brought somebody on to write a really compelling mystery to go along with this it would have been fucking really cool i mean get ryan johnson involved to just pen something and make that that would be you know combine the visual style that you get from guillermo with something you know like really interesting and really compelling mystery wise like knives out and you mash them shits together, and you'd have a fucking for sure Oscar movie. When uh, when the bodyguard dude gets hit by the car, um, he would then reach out his arm and like force pull himself back <laughs> toward the car. If it was a Ryan Johnson I, uh, movie, he'd miss the car, and then there would just be a broom. Yeah, I liked the brutality stuff too. <clears throat> I mean, we get Richard Jenkins getting his face bashed in, and then those that couple that he first does the spook show for. They just blast, or she, you know, the she just murder homicide. Him. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, man. So that was exciting. And I for just me. started blasting. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I was like, all right. Yeah, she's another. I mean, uh, what the fuck is her name? Mary Steenberg Virgin, I think. She was in the Last Man on Earth. She's been in a lot of things. Yeah. I think it's Mary Steen Virgin, Virgin, Virgin. But either way, um, I wanted more from this movie. Yeah. I I don't think that it's like out and out bad, just because all of the parts are good 
It's just what they were combined into is not worth as much as those parts are. And they set it up to be an Oscar movie, and it doesn't feel like that to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's classic Oscar bait. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to uh, rate this bad boy then out of five? Is he man or is he beasts? Sure. Well, before. That when he ripped the fucking chicken's head off early in the movie. Holy shit. That was fucking brutal. Yeah, but I mean, I see David Blaine do that shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not with all the blood no. uh, she yeah. was the chick from elf right mary steen virgin oh yeah yeah okay there we go yeah cool right. anywho's out of five is he man or is he beasts i'll say two and a half is he man or is he beasts you gotta uh, do it in your willem dafoe impression <laughs> godspeed spider-man <laughs> <laughs> two and a half beasts um <laughs> uh, yeah god i wish two and that. a half men it was hard too because we just watched a great performance from him and i'm like yes utilize your fucking actors man but yeah i mean like i said it's disjointed um it doesn't really it feels directionless a lot of the time so that's and erectionless i was very upset (laughs) at the lack of boners in the movie i know it's like you're getting tuggers from tony i want a tony tugger (laughs) tony the tugger (laughs) so you get a tony tugger probably a couple times a week (laughs) (laughs) thanks anthony (laughs) yeah so welcome babe (laughs) But yeah, there you go. Two and a half for me. Yeah. So um, it's going to be a three. Uh, is he man or is he beast? Love it. Yeah. Terrible impression. Uh, my uh, walk-in was better <laughs> in trivia. But yeah, uh, I I enjoyed a lot about this movie. But you are, you are nail on the head with the fact that it just doesn't feel like it's going anywhere at any point in time. Uh, except for the last 30 minutes when you're like, oh, yeah, they're going to geek him the fuck out. As yeah. soon as things start to escalate and he's you know drunk all the time. Also, I, I, I know that I'm diving back more into conversation, but I'm not super convinced by Kate Blanchett's motivations. Like, he called her out during that show and, like, pissed her off and called her not powerful. And that was enough for her to want to, like, ruin his fucking life. Hard. Yeah. Like, ruin his life Yeah. Hard. She's just an icy bitch. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm also going to go two and a half. I, I rated it three uh, off the bat, but just talking about it more and, and thinking about it more. Um, yeah, two and a half. Uh, is he man or is he beasts? Um, and out of five. And, uh, yeah, for all the same reasons you guys said, I just came out of it going like, <clears throat> I really didn't get anything out of that outside of the ending. And that's not enough for me. So... Cool. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for our discussion on Nightmare Alley, which is a name I still don't fully understand. Yeah. Yeah. Willem Dafoe at one point is just like, oh, and over at Nightmare Alley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you have your opinions on that, we definitely want to hear them. Send, to them. send them to us over on Instagram. Let us know what you thought about this film. Next week, we're going to do one of our redemption episodes, this time for our sci-fi shameful misses. I'm going to go ahead and keep it light and watch Galaxy Quest. Ooh, yes. You're going to love it, boy. John, what are you going to do? So in order to completely uh, completely fuck up the dichotomy of this, I'm going to go with coherence. Jesus Christ. All right. And, and then, Anthony, what are you doing? And in honor of our boy, Guillermo, who has stated this is one of his favorite sci-fi films, I'll watch Brazil. All right, cool. So we're going to watch those three movies. You should watch them, too, if you want to follow along with our discussion. And in preparation, continue, please, to watch Dexter, because we're probably going to dive into that once it's all wrapped up. And then It's get some- getting good, boy. It is getting good, boy. <laughs> and then uh, watch those Scream movies if you haven't, because we're going to talk about that not next week, but the week after. Yes. 
All right, thanks again so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. I've been Tan. I've been John. And I've been the monster under your bed. <laughs> Internet darling. Uh, thanks again. Keep it creepy. Exclusive episodes, early access, merch, and to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash porcelain peak. Thanks to all our patrons for the support, and special thanks to producers Chuck, Rob, and Ashley. You can find Porcelain Peak on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Wherever you listen, don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe so you never miss a thrilling episode. Special thanks to Roger Jackson for introducing the show, and to Jeff For Real for composing the Porcelain Peak opening and closing song. All content and episodes are written, produced, designed, and edited by the Porcelain Peak team, consisting of Anthony Perez, John Brasher, and Anthony Silva. This has been... Here, words, fair, weirdos, production.